Hi, I'm Brenda. And I'm Elaine. We're sisters. Welcome to the Body Wealth Podcast, a space for conversations about the wealth that really matters, your best health. Today's guest, Siobhan Alpert, is happy to be raising her healthy two-year-old daughter, but her delivery experience is something she would like to forget. This episode is our second in a two-part series on childbirth. Thank you so much for being here. We are really excited to have you on the podcast and have this conversation with you. Um, I know that you are a mother, a daughter, a sister, a working professional, but what we like to do is give you a chance to say a sentence or two of what you would want to say to introduce yourself to our audience. Hi. What would I say about myself? I am a 42-year-old mother. A daughter, and as you said, working mom, I am a one woman show Oof. and I am, I am surviving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad to hear that. We yes. want to be thriving too. Welcome. And we want to get right into our topic. We know that you have a lovely two-year-old daughter and we're very happy that she's healthy and happy now, but we know that you had an extremely difficult delivery experience. I believe that part of a lot of the problems started when you were hospitalized at 31 weeks pregnant. Can you tell us what led up to that? Absolutely. I wound up in a hospital. I went for a normal checkup at my OB and I had had a little bit of leakage. And so I asked them about it. If they thought it was anything to be concerned about, they said, you know what, just go to the hospital let them check you in case they could do a test and test and make sure it's not amniotic fluid. And I said, okay. He said, it'll be fine. It'll be fast. I'm like, great. So I go to the hospital five minutes away. And well, before they could even test it, they checked my blood pressure and it was apparently through the roof. And so they kept asking me, are you okay? Do you feel okay? Do you have a headache? And I'm like, no. Hmm. And so they kept doing that and they kept checking it. And then finally, they let me know that my blood pressure was somewhere ridiculous, you know, 170 something over. I don't know. It was ridiculous. Right. And they didn't understand why I didn't feel anything. And I'm like, listen, I'm just here to get my amniotic fluid checked. I just, you know. And so anyways, long story short, the test came back negative. So it wasn't amniotic fluid, but I ended up in a hospital anyway because of my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because the next day I was scheduled to see a specialist because I was very iron deficient. I was very anemic. Mm -hmm. And so they wanted to do like a IV iron infusion in me. And so I was scheduled to do that the next day, but now I'm in a hospital. Mm -hmm. So they actually ended up releasing me because they wanted me to go to that appointment. Which in some ways you wonder, right? Why couldn't they do that? But who am I? So they released me. And so they said, you know, just go home, get in the bed, bed rest, and then just go to your appointment. And your blood pressure was still the same sky high amount. It was, it was, it was not ideal. It was not ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, So I go home and I, I go to bed and I wake up to what I know for a fact is my um, water back leaking for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, This was not like a little burst. This was like a lot. 
And so I called the o, the OBGYN and the on-call one, and they said, you know what, Siobhan, take your time because you're probably going to be in the hospital for the duration. So pack you a bag, get everything you need, and then just take yourself back to the to the hospital. So I did. I never made it to the, the specialist. Mm. And I stayed in there for the two weeks it took for apparently what they said was I was in labor, although I wasn't dilating, but it took two weeks and I was rushed into an emergency C-section. So were you feeling contractions at all? So that night I was, um, that, they said I was having contractions prior, but I never felt anything. Mm-hmm. My preeclampsia, which, so the high blood pressure turned into preeclampsia. My preeclampsia was never, never under control. But that particular night, I woke up like I normally do, three, four o'clock in the morning. I always go and use the restroom and I felt pain this time. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to the restroom, you know, I went, but I felt, but when I wiped, I had a little bit of blood. And so on top of the fact that I was freezing, uncontrollably freezing and shaking. So I go back, I called a nurse and she comes in. And she's looking and she's checking and she's looking at my vitals and the baby's heart rate. She's not telling me anything. And she's like, I'm going to call the, the doctor. And so and she, as she throws heated blankets on me because I cannot stop shaking. And so the doctor comes and she checks me and she's like, Siobhan, you are at zero. Like you're not dilating at all, but your baby is intolerating the contractions. She's like, I think you should call dad now. So let me back up for a minute. This determination that you needed to have the emergency C-section was after you have been in the hospital for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And before the day where you had the leakage and you went to just check that out, had you had any high blood pressure before that? Never. During the pregnancy? Never. And so the reason they said you had to have the emergency C-section was that the baby that the baby wasn't tolerating the contractions. Mm-hmm. And that was, was, how did they know that? I don't know. I guess by the monitor, you know, cause you have on your lovely belt mm-hmm. around your, around your belly. So I guess by the baby's heart rate going up and down. Mm-hmm. Now I was never shown any of this, but mm-hmm. this is what I'm being told. Yep. What was even more interesting to me is remember I told you, I went to my doctor's office first. For a normal checkup. Right. And then and they when you first come in, they check your weight, they check your uh, blood pressure. My blood pressure was perfectly normal. Now, to, to put this into perspective, my doctor's office was 10 minutes from my house. The, mm-hmm. the emergency room or the hospital was five minutes from my house. So literally I drove five minutes to the hospital and I'm told that my blood pressure is through the roof. Now, mind you, I wasn't worried at all. Right. Just right. wanted to know if it was and me out of Florida or not unbothered, but somehow in that five minute period, wow, they said yeah, it just that went seems crazy. crazy. I agree, that's why I didn't understand when it kept going. Are you feeling okay? I'm like, did she not take my did the doctor's office not take my blood pressure right, or right. are you taking it right? Or I didn't, the discrepancy was huge because I was perfectly normal. And did they talk to each other that the hospital people on that day? And your doctor's office? I guess someone from my um, doctor's office is always kind of in the hospital, mm, especially mm-hmm. during the day. Mm-hmm. And so 
one of our doctors who I knew came to where I was, which is like the whatever intake for pregnant people. I don't know what it's called, but she did come and she was essentially ordering different meds because they were trying to get me down and they had given me meds and, and it wasn't going down. And which is why they ended up admitting me. And I'm like, I just don't understand. Mm-mm. Me neither. That's yeah. scary. Thank you for that background. And so were you on blood pressure medicine while you were on in the hospital for the two weeks before the baby came? Mm-hmm. And it did it ever move at all? Your blood pressure? Not to my knowledge. So you're in the hospital. They're saying, oh my goodness, you need to have an emergency C-section. Then what happened? So there was waiting, right? And I'm constantly calling the dad who I'm not able to reach. And the doctor checks me again. And then eventually the anesthesiologist comes and he talks to me. He's telling me how he's going to give me a spinal tap. And I was asking him, how exactly does that work? Because to my knowledge, you have to be still and I can't be still. He's like, we'll work with you. And I'm just like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm telling you, it wasn't quick. I mean, I I think the time that they said that I had to get the emergency C-section, it was probably an hour later. Okay. Um, I talked to my mom, my mom called my sister who had been through an emergency C-section and they're trying to calm me down. They're trying to reassure me. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I'm just scared. And you're by yourself. You don't have anybody other than the doctors. You don't have any of your people with you. I have no one. I have Um, no one. Did they ask you anything? Did they give you any options in terms of the way to proceed or they just said, this is what we're going to do. That's exactly how it was. This is what we're going to do. And I know when you're in that state of mind, it's hard to, you know, actually try to advocate for yourself, right? right. Well, because mm-hmm. you feel they're the experts and they know what what's best for your baby. And that's your main priority. That moment is to make sure your baby's okay. Exactly. And they're telling me that she's not tolerating and her heart rate is, you know, dipping. So who am I to be like, Whatever, you know, it's like, we need to save this child. Right. Mm, mm, mm. But you're shaking and you're still cold. Oh, freezing. And so do they take you to a delivery room? I was actually housed in a delivery. My regular room was a delivery room. So they took me essentially almost like next door and like across the hall. I guess there was an operating room Mm -hmm. and... They whisked me over there and <laughs> I just remember I had still had my phone because to the last second I was talking to my mom and my sister mm-hmm. and they took my phone and then they put me on a table and they have to stick me to, to numb me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am scared to death. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm shaking and then a contraction hits. I'll never forget it. I was like, stop. And so I let the contraction pass. And then he stuck me and like one of the nurses was holding me. I'm, st- I'm sitting on the table. So like, how do you brace yourself? Right. It's right. No way to, so I'm like holding on to her and he sticks me and then he's like, lay down in my mind. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how do I lay down? If you got this needle in my back, I just didn't understand. 
what was happening, right? And so I'm just like, I don't know if I can lay down. And so whatever, I lay down, but I'm still, I can't control my body. Mm-hmm. They strapped me down. By, yeah. by putting something on your hands or something? Yeah, I had like, I guess if you were in any kind of institution and they need to hold you down, oh. they, they strapped me down. To, that's and they terrible. said that was because you were, you were moving and you couldn't be still. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. So they strap you down. You've mm-hmm. you've had the epidural. They planning to knock you out completely, or just to numb you? No. The- what's funny is I asked them to, because they started right, and they kept telling me, Siobhan, there's going to be pressure. There's going to be pressure. I want you to understand the difference. It's not pain. It's going to be pressure. And so I just remember my mom telling me, because my mom had two C-sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, I remember, she, my mother didn't feel anything, mm-hmm. nothing, right. no pressure, no nothing. She felt nothing, right? My mom was just like, what's your food, baby? But she said she remember a, a lady, you know, next door or across the hall, hollering, hollering. And it was because she felt the cut. She felt what they were doing. So I was in my mind, I'm just like, and they kept saying, you need to tell us if you feel something that's not pressure. So I got my mom's thoughts. I got what they're telling me and I'm scared and I'm by myself. And I'm just like, okay, okay, Siobhan, like pay attention, pay attention. And so they start and I feel (laughs) not pressure, right? A cut, something cutting. Oh yeah. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And so they go, whoa, whoa, okay, shoot her with more medicine. Shoot her, you know, so the anesthesia's, they're doing something, right? And so then they continue again. They do whatever test, whatever that means. And then they start back again. And I am feeling, I feel like my body is being ripped open, which it is, right? And I am screaming and hollering. And all I could think of is my mom telling me about this lady. And I'm like, oh my God, this is me. Right. And then finally, I didn't feel anything anymore. And then I heard a baby cry. Um, And I'm like, oh my gosh, she made it. She made it. And so then, you know, they focused, like they weren't doing anything to me at all. I, I didn't feel anything for maybe a couple minutes, right? And so they're doing whatever to the baby. And then they bring the baby over and I'm trying to see her, but I have on these thick old glasses with my blind self <laughs> and my glasses are kind of upward and I can't adjust them because my arms are tied down. So oh. I'm, I'm trying to see her, but I kind of can't. And um, I'm just like, at least she's here. So then they go, okay, but we have to take her to the NICU, but she's fine. She's breathing on her own. She's doing great. She's healthy, mom. She's fine. And how many weeks okay. is this? I had her at 31 weeks. So I guess when I went into the hospital, I was 29 weeks. Oh, wow. This is really early. Mm-hmm. Really early. But so she was fine, a blessing for sure. She was four pounds, one ounce. She was breathing on her own. She was, she was fine, right? Fantastic. And so they take her away. And I feel good about it. I'm like, okay. And my mind is over. Well, mm. it's not. Because mm. they have to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Mm. And 
with my three fibroids and my oversized uterus because of the, the fibroids, they're trying to put this thing back together. And oh, honey, it ain't really fitting. Mm. You would think that after you take four pounds out, that it would fit a little better, but uh, it just wasn't. So I'm feeling pressure. Okay. Lots of pressure. They tell me, and I am just hollering. Okay. Okay, great. We can close. And so then they do the surgical stuff and then I'm sitting there for like a minute or two. And then they bring over this little gurney and then they're like, okay, mom, let's slide on here. What do you mean? Let's slide on here. Hey, move. Yeah. Okay, mom, we need you to help us slide on here. Right. So <laughs> it's interesting because apparently I'm numb somewhere, but I'm not numb everywhere, obviously, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. And so as I'm trying to move, I'm just filling out this stuff and I'm looking at them like, y'all don't just use the sheet and like pull me over. Like, right. Stand while I'm helping. Yes. Right. And then after all of this, you go to like the little recovery. I don't know. It's like a box. I don't know. It's so small. Right. And so you go into this little bay and I'm sitting there and I'm actually with one of the nurses who I've been talking to for two weeks. Right. She was one of the nurses and she's talking to me and she's telling me about what's going to happen. And then she goes, now, Siobhan. You're not going to like this, but I have to press on your stomach. I go, excuse me. She goes, and I have to press hard. So I need you to brace yourself because I have to make sure you don't hemorrhage. So nothing can prepare you for what this is about to feel like. Now she told me what she's about to do. So what did she do? Oh, she, oh, she pushed. And she pushed hard and she pushed long. I swear it was like four or five seconds. Really hard and like moving, almost like a massage kind of thing. Like really hard. And I am just yelling. And then she finally stops and just my face is just tears. And what were they trying to achieve? No, honestly, I have no idea. Because Mm. the only thing I know about someone pressing on your stomach is when they're trying to get the afterbirth out, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously they took that out themselves. So I have no idea. I've never, ever heard of it. Mm -hmm. And so her explanation was to make sure that you don't hemorrhage. Mm -hmm. And how is your health in that area now with the scar and and everything? How are you feeling now? Mm -hmm. Well, I still have my lovely friends that don't go away, my fibroids and my incision where I was cut. I don't have full filling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been two and a half years and um, it's it's kind of weird. It's a weird sensation. So I kind of avoid it on my own body, mm-hmm. um, but it's a weird sensation. It's like it's it's not quite all the way numb, but it's not quite all the way filling there. It's a, it's a weird thing. Did the doctor ever explain that to you after you left, when you went back for a checkup or anything, did you ask, or by then you were just put it behind you? 
you know what? I asked about it and I and I kind of kept asking about it because I didn't feel like it was getting better. And you know what's so interesting to me? So I was released from the hospital. I had her on a Monday. I was released on Friday. Okay. I was not okay. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't go back until six weeks. Right. <laughs> so you so just were on your own for five weeks. Aside from going to my daughter's doctor's appointments, but no one's checking you out, right? No right. one knows what your blood pressure is. Or for instance, I I was back at the hospital because she was still in the NICU. Right. Right. So I went up to the hospital all the time. I can remember they very, very clear. I was at the NICU and I was so weak that I used to walk with like that old lady grocery cart. Mm-hmm. Right, well, right. It was funny. My mom's like, I'm going to send you a walker. I'm like, I'm not using no walker, but I'm walking with this grocery cart thing <laughs> because I had like my pump stuff and I had my purse because I really couldn't. T- I had a hard enough time standing up myself. So I just couldn't have any weight. All that. Okay. And so I, I had my little cart. But when I get to the NICU, God forbid they let me hold her. Mm. I'm not moving. Right. So I just sit there and I hold her. And I forget about my meds. I forget about everything, right? Because I'm just holding my baby. Well, I I realized I needed to go. The pain is excruciating. I have to go. I have to go home. I need to lay down. I need to take this medicine. I'm not okay, right? Right. I stand up and I fall back down into the chair. Mm. And one of the nurses was like, we should check her blood pressure. But the manager over the NICU said, essentially, if they check my blood pressure and if I'm not okay and I'm in the NICU, I like open them up to, to my care. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you're in a hospital, therefore. <laughs> but they're not willing to do that. Oh my goodness. So I had to just sit there and I took my pain meds And I just had to wait for something to kick in and then just make my way, you know, out. I'm so sorry. So once you've had the baby, who's continuing to monitor your blood pressure and the other things that you need to heal from this experience? Nobody. Nobody. And that's a dangerous time. I'm so glad that you're okay, but that's... Me too. Because I had fainting periods. I had times where I could not get to that bathroom for nothing. Mm. You know, I, I, I had I had some, hmm, I was wearing pampers. Mm. I could not function. And nobody is there for you. I am sorry. Yeah. And so how were you eating? How You're home alone? I am. How, how were you? I wasn't. I really wasn't, you know, if her dad came over and he brought me something to eat, that meal would last me days because first of all, I think my stomach had probably shrunk so small. So like I would eat a little bit, I would pump, I would take my meds, I would go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I really wasn't, I lost a lot of weight. I lost more weight than when, before I started, Mm. it was really, really small. Mm. I think when I got pregnant, I was about 150 pounds I think within two weeks after having her, 
I had dropped to like 140. And then two weeks after that, I was at about 130. Like I just, Mm-mm. I was very small. That's not What's good. And then, your, <laughs> and then your body needs energy to generate the breast milk. So you're really draining yourself on mm-hmm. top of the high blood pressure and everything. Do you, do you know now whether your blood pressure has returned to normal? It hasn't. It hasn't. Oh, I'm sorry. It hasn't. Do you take um, blood pressure medicine? Now? I do. So, and this was the thing too. This is so interesting to me. So at the hospital after I had her, so I had gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. I had severe anemia, and I also had preeclampsia, which is the high blood pressure, severe high blood pressure. So after I had her, they stopped giving me blood pressure medicine. They took me off the control diet for the diabetes. They just stopped everything. Like the pre- like me delivering just fixes everything. Mm-hmm. And it was like, how do I know where I'm at? Because you guys aren't checking me, right? Right. So when I went home, because being in a hospital, I didn't need my little stick thing to check my sugar. I didn't need my blood pressure right. cup. So I, I go home and I'm like checking myself and my stuff is high. And I'm like, well, I got to keep taking these medicines, you know? Right. So I kept taking the medicine. And then when I showed up for my six week checkup, you know, literally everything was still the same. I still got diabetes. I still got everything is still the same. And so I asked my doctor, I'm like, when does this go away? They was like, well, sometimes it takes your body two to three months to regulate itself. Okay. So why did everybody stop giving me stuff in the hospital? Like, it just does not make sense. Right. Right. Yeah. It seems like there's a step missing or a, some, a place for everyone to fall through the cracks because you leave the hospital and you still need care and you can't reach out or see your OBGYN, then a lot of things can go wrong in that time. A lot of stuff could have went wrong. I'm so glad it didn't. I mean, you had those weeks when she was in the hospital where you were just managing the best you could with no support. Yes, ma'am. You are a strong woman, Siobhan. You shouldn't have to have been that strong but we're glad you were and we're glad you're okay now. Yeah, but what, I'm just figuring out what should be there? What resources should be available for someone who- I feel like just like the baby has, you know, those those checkpoints in those early days. Mm -hmm. I feel like there should be checkpoints for the mom too, especially having a C-section. Especially after having a C-section. And having having all those issues that develop during your pregnancy. Absolutely, but there was literally nothing. There was nothing. So So you had to figure it out. I am so sorry. So how has this experience affected your perspective on having more children, the healthcare industry? The thought of having another child is absolutely undoable. Um, mm. I couldn't imagine doing what I had to do again. And I, I just can't take that risk. So for me, it's a it's a non-starter. No more kids for me. Uh, well, I'm glad you have your baby girl, but I'm but sorry. The pro- that process should not be what dictates that decision for any woman. Right. Exactly. What... Um, support do you wish you had either through the healthcare system or otherwise? Well, I definitely wish that 
there was some kind of checkpoint for the mom, just like it is for the for the for the child. But I also feel like they do these really small checks for postpartum. Um, there just has to be something that you do for the health of the mom as well. Yes, mental is important. Mm-hmm. Even even those little questionnaires that you fill out, uh, is that enough? Right. Well, somebody's got to pay attention to what after you fill it out to I actually look at it. Too. I agree yeah. with that part too, because I know for a fact I didn't um, answer everything's great down the line. I know for a fact I didn't because mm. it wasn't. And no follow up. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, girl. It's going to help mean, so many other women who might not think about these things, right? I think it's important that nobody should ever have to go through what you went through. And how do we make sure of that? I think the system has to change to prioritize mothers as as much as babies. And it also, you know, has to change where Black women are listened to more. Yeah. For sure. Siobhan was telling them what the problem was. She was asking for what she needed and they didn't do it. I, mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone. Um Cause I don't truly know how you get past it. Mm-hmm. I try to focus on my child mm-hmm. and the fact that she's here and she's healthy. Um, but we can still hear your pain two and a half years later. Um, and that it should not be. People say you forget, you forget. <laughs> no, <I could. laughs> no. Yeah. You wish you could. Have you thought about counseling? Oh, honey. I see a counselor once a week. Great. Does it help or not? It helps in some ways. Um, it helps to be able to process the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't just have one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have several things. So I don't always focus on, you know, my birth experience. Honestly, I just would like to forget it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I... I continue to go to counseling because it helps me. So Good. Oh, yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you have that. So if there were another Black woman who was facing an emergency situation like you were, what, what would you want to say to her? Well, one thing is for sure. Like for me, I think everything was so... It was so much worse because I was by myself right and so I would just encourage anybody to have a for real support system like during your pregnancy because anything at any time can happen Mm -hmm. and then on top of it I just feel like they're not gonna willingly tell you anything so ask all the questions and do your research yeah I, I just wasn't even prepared for that to happen. Like it just wasn't even a thought. Right. Right. Um, You you wouldn't even dream of this happening. So you don't even go there in terms of trying to prepare for it. Seriously. And honestly, as, and what, you know what I do, because I also feel like not just healthcare, but just like we as women, I feel like we don't share 
the hard stuff with women about pregnancy. Right. Like it's just kept from you. And I'm like, tell, I'm a realist. Tell me everything. Right. Tell me everything. And so I've had girlfriends who had babies after me and I told them everything. Mm -hmm. Be prepared for this. And if this happens and do this and make sure you have this, you're going to need this. Ask for this. Like I tell them everything, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. yes, at the end, you have this beautiful baby, God willing, but you have Matter. to pay too. Yes. Yes. Excellent point. Um, and sharing is important. That's, that's part of the reason why we're here. And we're so grateful to you for, for your going back to that pain and, and telling us about it so that we can let other women know. Yeah. That- I appreciate you guys having me. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it helps anyone, you know? Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna. I think childbirth is still one of those things where we don't talk about it enough. Absolutely. And the thing is we have to do the work because nobody is prioritizing us. We need more black women doctors. We yes. need to, you know, these medical schools to, to actually admit Educate. them. And then educate and, and, you know, do studies to understand. We need researchers who prioritize us to understand what these issues are and to find solutions. I feel like what also needs to happen, there needs to be some kind of checks and balances as to when someone needs a C-section. Yeah. we, We both know that they get paid way more money for that major surgery than they do for you pushing out that baby. And and they have to go through this whole thing with you pushing out this baby, the time, the whatever. Right. Listen, they don't want to do it, but there has to be some kind of checks and balances on who needs that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the lady who delivered my baby was a black doctor. Mm -hmm. I still didn't get any explanations. There's no guarantee. Right. And that's the thing is that when you are not someone who went to medical school like none of us are, right? And someone says, oh, the baby's, you know, it's affecting the baby. It's hard for you to say, no, I want to try for another couple hours to see if I can deliver vaginally. I wish I had someone advocating for me. Yeah, especially because you were there alone. Well, we promised that we would get you out by five so that you could not be rushed to pick up your daughters. Final question, who or what inspires you to seek your best health my baby Mm. my baby I had my baby late in life so my family is plagued with high blood pressure and diabetes and congestive heart failure and now cancer and my point is I need to be here yep so in order to do that I have to be healthy that's my wealth so she's my motivation that's the great motivation because yeah. taking care of yourself is taking care of her. Yep. Well, you're doing it and I love to see it. Um, thank you so much. It's mm-hmm. wonderful to talk to you. Um, we wish you all the best, best health, happiness, mm-hmm. and great time with your daughter every day. Thank you so much. Be well, Siobhan. It's great to see you. Thanks again. You too. Thank you so much.
So thanks for listening to our two-part series on Black women and childbirth. We're so grateful that Siobhan and Maya were able to share their stories with us and that they are now spending their days being mother to two healthy, happy children. But their experiences have given us a lot to think about related to Black maternal and infant mortality. The first thing I noticed is that even though Maya and Siobhan are very different women, they both had the experience of feeling disrespected, feeling a lack of empathy, feeling not listened to during the delivery of their children. And, you know, those three things are stress-inducing. And both Maya and Siobhan ended up having high blood pressure. Which is a very dangerous thing in childbirth. But I, I think, too, on top of that, giving childbirth is stressful. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they, as Black women, have experienced the stress of living as a Black woman in this country. And so many studies have shown that Black people in this country are less healthy because of the experiences that they have living in this country. Mm. And people have always tried to, to tie these disparities to socioeconomic issues, levels of education, poverty. But... Studies have shown that just existing in this country as a Black person, the stress of being on high alert all the time because of the things that can happen to us because we are Black in this country. And we both know that because we have tall Black sons. And the level of stress that we feel when they're out and about and socializing is probably different from mothers whose whose sons are not Black. It is not probably, it is different. Right, that, that's true and it's been proven. And those stressors, those um, conditions where we're on high alert, they affect our immune system, they affect our blood pressure, they affect all those things that just make us less healthy in general. And on top of that, a third thing is that we cannot forget that racist people and racist ideas played a big role in the evolution of the practice of medicine in the U.S. And there's so many examples of that. And one of the most famous that many people know about is the Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in Negro men. Tragic, tragic study. But I think a lot of people don't know that study continued until 1972. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So it's not the distant past during slavery or reconstruction. We're talking our lifetimes. We're talking people who participated in that study may still be alive and or practicing medicine. So that just solidified for me, especially because that was a study funded by the U.S. Public Health Service, that we need really a concerted effort to root out all the remaining ways that racism and racist ideas have played a role in the practice of medicine in this country. Right. The history of it and the current bias that still exists today. All of those things need to change, but we know those things are long-term change. They're not the type of change that happens overnight. So. I'm worried about what are we going to do for women who are giving birth tomorrow, mm-hmm. women who are pregnant now. How can we make a difference so they have the opportunity to have safe delivery and to be there for their babies? One thing that I, I think could be helpful is 
for us to consider or for the medical profession to consider making pregnancy as a black woman, putting it in the high risk category, having a protocol like we do for women who are high risk because of their advanced age, 35, or <laughs> as a, a certain medical condition, they have protocols to pay special attention to these women in their situation. So I think maybe develop a, a special protocol, a high risk protocol for black women who are giving birth because we know it is dangerous. It's more dangerous because of all the things that we've already talked about. Yeah, and especially until we get these these numbers and parity in, in the, the outcomes. I also think Maya's idea of giving everyone a doula is a good one, you know, because having someone there to support you emotionally, to look out for you as the birthing mother, um, yeah. can make a huge difference. But both your idea about the protocol and my idea about having a doula for everyone and lots of other ideas require policy. And so that's where voting comes into play. We need to vote for representatives who support making efforts to change the outcomes for Black women in childbirth. Yes, that for sure. We also need to remember, though, that as, as difficult and ha as problematic as childbirth and pregnancy is for Black women right now, a lot of the deaths that are, are contributing to this mortality crisis occur one week or up to one year after mm. someone delivers a baby because women need support in that time too. And a lot of these problems happen after they go home from the hospital. Okay. Um, so we got to find a way to be there before, during, and after. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, we have found that there are a lot of community organizations that are doing this work that are are supporting Black women in these times, and we want to support them. We, Body Wealth, have made a donation to the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, which is a nonprofit that's creating a world where Black mamas have the rights, respect, and resources to thrive before, during, and after pregnancy. And there's numerous of these organizations out there, and we would love for you to support some of them, so we will put a link to their information in our notes. That's really good. And I just hope that these two stories will inspire action. Our listeners can share these episodes with friends or people they know who might work in the system, medical students, medical schools, hospital administrators, OBGYNs, because I really believe the more that people can appreciate on a personal and emotional level, the experience of black women, maybe the more change we can inspire. So we are really grateful to Maya and Siobhan for coming on to the Body Wealth podcast and sharing their personal stories. We know hearing what they went through inspired us to act and we hope that it will inspire you also to find a way to make a difference for black mothers. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode inspires you to increase your body wealth. If you like our show, please subscribe and tell a friend. 
The Body Wealth Podcast shares personal stories to inspire you. It does not constitute medical advice. For that, we encourage you to work with a trusted healthcare provider. We also want to remind you that the views expressed by our guests are their own. This podcast is dedicated to our mother, Jean Fernandes Barbour, who showed us what advocating for yourself really looks like.